good evening, everybody. All right. These two clocks say it's 631. This clock over here says it's 629, just turned to 630. So I guess we can now officially begin. Um, We're going to have some fun tonight, okay? Because we're going to be dealing with the very worst king in the history of Israel. And as is only fitting, the worst king in the history of Israel will be married to the worst woman in Israel, okay? Um, Her name is Jezebel, and um, um, today uh, I just was goofing around, and I googled Jezebel, and I got 11,800,000 hits uh, in .4 seconds, okay? So um, there is a Jezebel.com you can go to. There is a magazine called Jezebel, and uh, um, Jezebel still lives in the lore of uh, society today. And so we'll have a a lot of fun looking at her, uh, but we don't want to be like her. Um, In fact, let's turn over, um, while some folks are uh, arriving, Let's turn over to uh, uh, the book of Revelation. Okay, and uh, this is totally unscripted. So, um, Revelation 2 and 3 has letters uh, to the seven churches that were the recipients of the book of Revelation initially. Okay? These churches were located in what today is modern-day Turkey, um, would have been called Asia then, and uh, let's see, okay, to the church in Thyatira, okay, this uh, begins in uh, Revelation 2, verse 18, okay, so this is uh, um, no charge for this tonight, Um, but look at this church. Uh, you can compare and contrast the letters in uh, um, Revelation 2 and 3 on the basis of five criteria. Each one has a description of Christ. Um, each one has a commendation, except two of them don't get a, uh, let's see, one of them doesn't get a commendation. Each uh, recipient church uh, received a rebuke, except two of them. Each one receives an exhortation, And then each one is given a promise to those who overcome. Okay? And so here is part of the rebuke for the letter, uh, for the church in Thyatira. This is what the letter uh, says. And if you notice, if you have a red letter Bible, these letter, these words are all in red. These are the words of Jesus talking about the church in Thyatira. And verse 20 starts, this is Revelation 2 verse 20. Uh, For those of you who just walked in and go, I thought this was uh, about the kings. Hang on, we'll connect it up. Okay, it says, uh, Jesus says, but I have this against you, meaning against you, the church in Thyatira. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. 
I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. I'll throw her, uh, behold, I'll throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. Remember that when we uh, talk about Jezebel with the kings. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. And so even when John is writing this, uh, approximately A.D. 95, Jezebel is still someone who is at the forefront of the consciousness of the early church. Okay, so she is a woman who made an impact. Um, And ladies, um, yes, I want you to make an impact, but not that impact, okay? We don't want to be uh, like Jezebel, uh, the fact that we have Jezebel.com in a magazine named Jezebel notwithstanding. Okay, so we better pray after talking about Jezebel, and uh, uh, then we'll get rolling. Lord, thanks for the privilege of coming together to study your kings, kings of your people, Father, people that you've chosen, just like you've chosen uh, uh, people that make up the church today to be your ambassadors, to share the good news about your son. And so, Father, may we take the lessons of the kings and apply them in our own lives as we make decisions to follow your way instead of our own way. And so thanks for each one of these folks, Father, and may the truths of your word inform uh, the daily decisions that we make so that we might live lives that honor you. Amen. Okay, so this is a uh, class about uh, the kings of Israel and Judah. And if you remember, last week we covered nine of them. Uh, This week we'll cover um, ten of them. And we'll actually be all the way through the book of 1 Kings. Okay? Um, And uh, tonight, um, I talked a little bit about the prophets, and we saw a little bit of the role that the prophets played in serving the kings of Israel and Judah But tonight, the prophets are really going to come to the fore, and particularly um, the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha. And so we're going to spend some time looking at just what those guys in particular did uh, to um, share the word of the Lord with the kings that they were serving, okay? Now, if we can get our technology to work, here we go, so... Tonight we'll cover from Ahab, uh, who has the distinction of being the worst king of all of Israel, uh, down to Joash. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but if you've been reading, um, I have seen that we have um, a Joash in the northern kingdom, and we have a Joash in the southern kingdom. And uh, um, not surprisingly, they live or they reign in roughly the same time frame. And then tonight we'll also talk about a pair of uh, guys known as Joram or Jehoram, one in the southern kingdom, one in the northern kingdom, okay? And so if we want to confuse ourselves about the kings, this is a good way to do it, to have guys having the same name in both the southern kingdom and the uh, northern kingdom reigning at approximately the same time. 
And so you have to really be careful, and that's one of my goals for this class, is that it will equip you to be able to say, okay, so this is Joram or Jehoram um, in the southern kingdom, or this is Jehoram or Joram in the northern kingdom, okay? And so, you know, maybe it was kind of like Bobby or Bob, um, you know, uh, there was a shortened form or a diminu- diminutive form, um, like Joram, but the formal name was Jehoram. I'm not exactly sure how the kings viewed it, but uh, um, you'll see within even the same passage that they call the same guy by two different names. So don't let that confuse you, okay? But be careful to um, locate where this particular king is serving because you know that there are Jehorams and Jorams in both the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Okay, everybody with me, or have I totally now confused you? Okay, so we had a John F. Kennedy, and we also had a Jack Kennedy. And, uh, um, you know, it just, that's the way things happen. Uh, But hopefully this will help you keep it straight. And remember... Um, I have the kings of Israel and Judah at a glance for those who stick it out all the way to the bitter end, um, hopefully not too bitter, although uh, the last week, we're going to start great on the last week because we're going to have a couple of kings that are two of the best kings in the history of the southern kingdom, okay? Um, One of them that you just can't believe the sort of marks that that guy uh, got, he's a guy named uh, Josiah. Um, but from Josiah on, it's really going to be a downhill slide. But this little chart will help you keep track of, um, just on a front and back sort of page, uh, a list of all the kings and their approximate dates when they reigned and uh, will be a handy guide. I have to tell you that as I've been preparing throughout these uh, last few weeks, this has been at my side the whole time because you know, it, it gets confusing about, all right, so who are we talking about and where does he fit in in the overall uh, time chronology of the kings? All right? This is the timeline we shared last time. Remember that uh, uh, we started with the kingdom united. Uh, with, um, David was still alive when we started the book of First Kings. Uh, David had ruled for approximately 40 years. And then uh, his son Solomon became king, and that's uh, approximately the point at which we start uh, the book of 1 Kings with the transition from David as an old man to his young son Solomon as a king. Then Solomon rules for 40 years. That takes you up through the end of about uh, 1 Kings uh, 11. And then we have uh, um, the um, controversy over Who's going to follow Solomon? He obviously wants his son Rehoboam to do that. And remember the uh, issue that we had? Uh, uh, Rehoboam um, got advice about uh, uh, the people who came to him and said, hey, Solomon really oppressed us and you need to lighten up. And he said, well, let me think about that, which was a good move on his part. He took uh, three days to think about it, and then he did what? you know, uh, Wagner counsels us to do all the time is to get the counsel of community. And he went to uh, the old wise advisors of his father 
and they told him to uh, lighten up and that if he would uh, serve these people by doing that, they would serve him for their lives. And he also got advice from his high school buddies who said, hey, you're tougher than your dad ever was. Go tell him that. And, of course, you know who he listened to. He listened to his high school buddies instead of to uh, the wise old counselors of his dad. And the result was the divided kingdom. Okay? And remember the promise that we looked at that, Jehor- uh, that uh, Jeroboam got? Um, the Lord told Jeroboam that I will be with you. And I will, uh, as long as you continue to walk in my truth, walk in my ways your house will sit as the rulers in Israel. And um, it was a promise uh, similar, not quite like, but similar to the same promise that the Lord had made to David. Okay? And so um, Jeroboam started great in the northern kingdom, but what was the first thing that he did? Anybody remember? Idols. Idols. He created two golden calves that he put at either end of the uh, country of the northern kingdom. And uh, he said, look, I know the Lord's just told me that he's going to be with me and that, you know, this is mine unless I screw it up. Uh, but um, if I let those people go down to uh, uh, Jerusalem to worship, they're going to go back to Rehoboam. And so he took counsels of his fears instead of trusting the word of the Lord. And so he erects these idols and, you know, he sets a pattern that plagues the northern kingdom, uh, the ten tribes that form Israel after the divided kingdom uh, for the rest of their days until, uh, as you can see, they're conquered in 722 B.C. by Assyria. Okay, and if you've been reading along on some of these kings, you've seen that time after time it says that they followed the pattern or walked in the way of Jeroboam. Well, there was also a pattern in the northern, in the southern kingdom. And what pattern was that? Well, remember, um, we had uh, um, 19 or 20 kings in the northern kingdom, they're all bad. We're going to talk about one of them that did a couple of things right tonight, a guy named Jehu. But in the southern kingdom, there were eight good kings. Ready? Yeah, they followed what, they, uh, what is described as um, their father David. Well, he wasn't literally the father of any of the kings uh, after the kingdom divided, okay? But he was the father in the sense of being their ancestor and the one that they looked to. It's like, you know, we identified uh, George Washington as the father of our country. So David provided the pattern for the good kings that uh, uh, we see in the southern kingdom. And tonight we'll get to look at uh, uh, at least one of those. Um, let's see. Yeah, you know, we looked at Asa last week, and we'll look at. Um, uh, maybe even a couple of uh, the good kings. Um, but one of them is named Jehoshaphat, and we'll take some time to look at Jehoshaphat. Okay? So those are the patterns. The southern kingdom starts out under Rehoboam and 20 kings. It goes out and uh, um, is conquered or goes out in captivity to the Babylonians in approximately 586 B.C. 
Okay, we good on the timeline? Got that down now? All right, here's our map. You can see the uh, northern kingdom up here. And uh, so it's made up of the ten tribes. You can see it goes all the way up to Dan where the, uh, um, one of the calves was placed. The other one was down here in Bethel, or Bethel, okay, right near Jerusalem, but still part of the northern kingdom. And then the southern kingdom is made up of Judah and also includes the other tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. All right, so let's talk about the prophets, and let's um, take a look at um, what were the principles that the prophets were attempting to teach the kings that they were serving, okay? And so I've identified five principles here that you can keep in mind as you look at and evaluate the actions that the prophets are taking and the word that they're bringing. And so the first one is that Yahweh, God, is the one true God. And so let's go look at um, Deuteronomy. I'm going to illustrate each one of these principles uh, from the book of Deuteronomy. Remember how we talked last week that Deuteronomy kind of forms the standard for evaluating the king's um, reign. So you can use the words of the book of Deuteronomy to evaluate uh, how the kings did. And we looked at that last week. Um, But here we can look at um, passages from the book of Deuteronomy to illustrate each one of these principles. So turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 5, 7. A simple verse that you know, uh, part of the Ten Commandments. Remember that uh, Deuteronomy simply means second law. It's the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, to a new generation. Remember the uh, uh, children of Israel wandered around for 40 years and uh, the generation that refused to enter the promised land died off. A new generation was raised up. And so Moses gave this new generation the law in the book of uh, uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5.7 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Jehovah, Yahweh, is the one true God. And really, the entire book of Deuteronomy is a solemn call to love and obey the one true God. A solemn call to love and obey the one true God. And you know, as the kings go, the kings that do that are the kings that succeed. And the kings that don't do that will watch out. Okay? So the second principle is that Yahweh, uh, the Lord, always keeps his word and his promises. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Flip over a couple of chapters. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's a lot of generations. Okay? And that's really a, um, um, a poetic uh, uh, figure of speech that says he keeps it forever. 
And then next, um, turn to Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 to 22. The Lord's prophets always speak the truth. And here's what Moses says in Deuteronomy 18. He says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, this is the Lord speaking, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And so, you know, the test of a prophet was pretty stringent. If the word didn't come true, he was not a true prophet of Jehovah, and uh, uh, he was to be executed. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word... uh, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if a word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet who has spoken it, um, uh, I'm sorry, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And so what the Lord is saying, uh, using the negative, he's saying, if it doesn't come true, you know that that's not a true prophet of Jehovah. And so, one of the tests of the Old Testament prophets is, does their word come true? And you see that repeated time after time with uh, Elijah and Elisha, that what they said came to pass, even though some of it was pretty crazy. And the people just scratch their head and go, I mean, that's a madman to say something like that. And then let's put the next two principles together. Disobedience to Yahweh's word results in judgment, and obedience to it results in his uh, provision even in time of great need. So turn back now to uh, Deuteronomy 11, verses uh, 26 to 28. And it reads, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And so, you know, it's pretty simple for the kings. Do it the Lord's way. And he's going to be with you. Um, Don't do it the Lord's way, and you can expect judgment. Then uh, turn to the next chapter, Deuteronomy 12, 28. Moses writes, Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And so kings... If you do what the Lord says, it's going to go well with you. And not just with you, kings, but it'll go well with the entire country. Okay? But then, in contrast, turn over to Deuteronomy um, 28.15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today... Then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And if you go look at uh, chapter 28 in Deuteronomy, it's got a big long list. Well, actually, it's got um, 14 verses of blessing. Okay, if you do certain things, that the Lord will bless you. And then it has almost um, 
four times as many lists of things that will happen to you if you don't obey the word of the Lord. Okay? And they had a little ceremony as uh, Moses was um, doing this, and they put half the tribes over on Mount Gerizim, and the other six tribes over on Mount uh, Ebal. Okay? And so there's a valley in between them, and the Levitical priests are standing down there in the valley. And uh, they're, you know, reading out this list of things, and you can just hear the people um, going back and forth as they talk about curses and blessings. Blessings um, were the represented by the tribes on Mount Gerizim, and curses represented by the tribes on uh, uh, Mount Ebal. Okay? And it doesn't mean that those tribes were cursed. It meant simply that the Lord was using that as a visual picture to help them understand that, you know, if they were obedient, good things were going to happen. Okay? It doesn't mean that life would necessarily be always great, just like it doesn't mean that for us. Okay? This is not prosperity theology. This is simply saying that when you obey the word of the Lord, then the Lord is going to be with you even in the midst of difficult times. And when you disobey that word, then he says that, hey, my people, I'm going to allow discipline to come into your life to help bring you back to obedience. Okay? And so think about that. That was true for the kings. And I guarantee you that same thing is true for us today. And just because we don't immediately get zapped when we are disobedient to the word of the Lord doesn't mean that discipline is not coming our way. Are you with me on that? Yes? No? Okay. You're with me on the blessing? Not so much with me on the discipline? Okay, I'm with you on that. All right? Um, Nobody likes discipline. But God is faithful to his word. You know, he always keeps his word and his promises. And he promises that if we will obey him, then, you know, he's going to be with us even in the midst of tough times. Okay? He doesn't necessarily um, promise us that he's going to take the tough times away, but he does say, I will walk through that with you, and I will be there. Okay? All right, so these principles are played out in the lives of um, Elijah and Elisha. And uh, uh, we see, I don't know if y'all can see that, hopefully you can, but you have it on your um, handout. Hopefully everybody picked up uh, one of these handouts of the slides. These slides will also be uh, available online. Um, But I counted at least uh, nine or so stories uh, from Elijah, and then a like number uh, from Elisha, okay? And so let's take a look at some of uh, uh, these stories. Um, there are more than that actually in the text, but it, um, we don't have time to go into all of them. But I wanted to pick some that were uh, illustrative of uh, uh, several points, okay? And so Elijah starts... Um, The ones I picked to begin were the uh, drought. He promised that there would be no rain until he said that there would be rain. And then he also dealt with um, uh, a jar and a jug that wouldn't go empty. And um, he also then um, raised the widow's son. And so 
principles that, those were kind of the warm-up miracles that he did. Uh, But they demonstrated that only the one true God has power over rain and provisions and over even life itself. In contrast to um, Baal, who uh, the worshipers of Baal thought that Baal had power over these things. And so Elijah was demonstrating that Jehovah was indeed the one true God, not Baal. Okay, And these things also demonstrated, particularly these first three, demonstrated that he was truly a prophet of the one true God. And that what he uh, pronounced as the word of the Lord came true. That was the mark of a uh, prophet of the Lord. And these miracles authenticated his message, just like who do we know that did miracles to authenticate his message? Sunday school answer, Jesus. Yeah. So the Lord did miracles, um, not particularly to heal anybody, but to authenticate that he was indeed who he said he was. You know, when uh, John the Baptist uh, um, is in prison and he sends messengers to the Lord and says, hey, are you the promised one or should we look for another? What does the Lord say in response? He says, well, here's what I've done. You know, the blind see and lepers are healed. And the lame walk. And so what he was saying is that I have done the things that uh, um, the Old Testament promised, the Scriptures promised that the Messiah will do. So the um, miracles authenticate that he was indeed the Messiah. And these kind of warm-up miracles, if you will, also get him ready for um, his first big showdown. Okay, so turn over to uh, uh, 1 Kings uh, 18. And he meets up with Ahab and gets a warm greeting from Ahab in verse 17. This is 1 Kings eighteen seventeen. Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Okay, that's a warm greeting from the king. And Elijah answers him and says, I've not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Okay, and then um, he sets up the, um, the challenge. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. Uh, I've actually been able to stand on Mount Carmel where uh, this took place. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So, you know, um, Jezebel definitely uh, uh, was not a good influence here. And verse 20, Then so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And maybe the uh, prophets of Asherah had the good sense not to show up because it doesn't mention them again. And uh, uh, it says in verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. Remember that. They didn't answer here. And then Elijah said to the people, I... Even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
And so then they set up this test, okay? And they set up a um, burnt offering to happen, okay? That's in verse 23 where they set it all up. And then uh, Elijah goes on and says, You can call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered this time, It is well spoken. So they said, Yeah, that'll prove it. Okay? And then Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And so the, the Baals um, do that. They take the bull, they get it ready, they call upon the name of Baal. Verse 26 says, from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, um, Elijah decides to have some fun with them. And he says, cry aloud, for he's a god, okay? So he must be listening or maybe he's musing, or even he's relieving himself. Maybe he's out in the bathroom. Or maybe he's on a journey, or he's asleep and needs to be awakened, so shout loudly. And indeed, uh, the uh, uh, prophets of Baal took the bait, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, and there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. That must have been a pretty dramatic time. And then look what happens next. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me, and all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that apparently had been torn down. And he took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And then look what he does. He uh, makes a trench around uh, the altar. Okay, And he puts the wood in the uh, uh, order and he sets up the bull to be sacrificed. And then he tells them to fill four jars full of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he does it a second time. And then he does it a third time. Okay? So he's setting up the Lord for failure. And it says there was so much water that it ran around the altar and filled the trench with water as well. And at the time of the offering... Uh, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and uh, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that they have turned their backs, uh, I'm sorry, and that you have turned their hearts back. And look at verse 38. How about this? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. And you remember those people that were silent? Well, they're not so silent anymore. Verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then it doesn't go so well for the prophets of Baal. 
And so, gang, we worship a God who is able to do things like this. And you know, we may not have fire being called down from heaven, but we have lives being changed right here in this very building. And those miracles of life change are just as dramatic and just as demonstrative of the fact that the Lord is indeed God because he can take a life that is in the ditch and bring it back. Pretty amazing time uh, for Elijah. And so, what does Ahab do? Not much. He persists in following uh, after Baal. And verse 46 concludes that chapter. It says, The hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and uh, um, he has a, a race with, Ab- with Ahab, and uh, races him to uh, Jezreel um, a number of miles away and beats him, okay? Uh, But after this great victory, look what happens to uh, even the great prophet Elijah. Um, So Ahab goes back, um, and he tells Jezebel all that Elijah has done and how he killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword, And so Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah, this is uh, chapter 19, verse 2, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And so Elijah said, Lord, I know you can take care of her because I just saw you take care of 450 prophets of Baal. Right? Right? Not so much. Instead of responding in faith, even the great Elijah is afraid. And he uh, arises and runs for his life. Okay? And so, gang, God is not looking for us to be perfect. Because he knows that we are flawed, fallible people. And if someone like Elijah, who has just seen uh, an amazing miracle happen right before him, and the very next day he is running for his life because he fears someone, okay, so there's hope for me, okay? Um, You know, I may not be in that sort of situation, but I have times where I've seen great things that the Lord has done in my own life of changing my own heart, And then the very next day, uh, I go out and act like an idiot. Okay? But the good news about Elijah is that he doesn't stay there. Okay? And what happens in chapter 19 um, that I think is really powerful is that the author sets up situations and describes situations that happen in Elijah's life that uh, compare him to Moses. Okay, and so why do I say that? Okay, well, he uh, look at verse 8, 19.8. Um, he goes 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Well, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And who spent 40, nights, uh, 40 days and 40 nights at Mount Sinai? Moses, okay? And what happened when Moses... Um, was with God. Well, he had God pass by him. And it may have been um, um, 
Um, Elijah in verse 9 is in the same cave, perhaps, even that Moses uh, was in. Um, And the Lord comes by Moses. Uh, Verse 11 says, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore uh, the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And the Lord was in the whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Something he'd asked him several times before. And he says, well, woe is me, I've been very jealous for you, uh, Lord, uh, and everybody's forsaken you and thrown down your altars and killed the prophets, your prophets, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Okay? He says, woe in me, Lord, I'm the only one left that's following you. Woe is me. And the Lord says, okay. You're okay because I'm with you and I've got things for you to do. And he says, you're going to anoint uh, three folks who are going to um, be a part of bringing discipline uh, to the northern kingdom. Haziel, king of Syria, Jehu, uh, son of Nimshi, and uh, let's see, and then Elisha, who's going to follow you. Okay, he says, you've been by yourself? Okay, so I'm sending another guy to be your helper. And the um, Lord then says something in verse 18 that's really important. And it's the principle of the remnant. And the Lord says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so the Lord tells uh, Elijah, said, you're not by yourself. You may not know it, but there's 7,000 other people who have not bowed to Baal and who are still my people. And you know, God always has a remnant. <clears throat> he had it at this time. Um, he uh, has had it um, even now, a remnant of um, uh, people who are Jews who have identified uh, themselves as believers in um, uh, Jesus. And he'll have a remnant in the future. Let's turn back to um, Revelation. Um, Turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12 and 13 kind of is uh, some colored commentary that's a part of the story that's helping fill in some gaps about what's going on. <clears throat> this is, uh, likely happens at about the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. And this uh, comes a time when the Antichrist, the beast, uh, is ruling on earth. He rules for 42 months. Uh, he is Satan's guy. And... Uh, um, Look at verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. The woman's a picture of Israel, I think. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. There is the same idea of a remnant that will be around even in 
the desperate times of the tribulation. Those who have not bowed their knee, not to Baal, but to the beast. Okay? And so the principle of a remnant um, is first mentioned here in uh, 1 Kings as we see the remnant that uh, um, in the northern kingdom of Israel that has not bowed its knee to Baal. And so Elijah is not by himself, but he is surrounded by uh, as many as 7,000 others who have not uh, uh, bowed to Baal. And you know what's interesting about this is that um, who's he writing to? Who is the author of Kings writing to? He's writing to a people who are in exile. He's writing to a remnant. And he is calling those remnant uh, folks to remember that God is the one true God and that God has not forgotten them and that if they will be obedient to God, even in exile, that uh, he will continue to be with them. Okay? So he's writing to folks who make up a remnant during the Babylonian captivity. And so they themselves are the demonstration of a remnant. Um, And, you know, the book's written probably about um, 550 or so B.C., and uh, by um, 536 or so, um, they start to have the first wave come back to um, um, uh, Jerusalem, okay? Um, just as the people go off in captivity in three waves, so they come back from captivity after a, uh, a total of 70 years, they ultimately come back, uh, but they come back in three waves, And, uh, you know, they do it in a way that uh, uh, is completely unlike anything that we would think about to do. Because the first wave comes back to do what? Well, if you go read the book of uh, Ezra, uh, you'll see that the first wave comes to rebuild the temple. Okay? And then um, the second or third wave, I can't remember which, comes back to build the walls of Jerusalem. Well, if I were doing it, I'd want to rebuild the walls first... Um, before I rebuilt the temple because the walls would provide protection for me, okay? But that's not the way that God rolls. God says, hey, those walls, they aren't your protection. You're deluding yourself to think that they provide protection. What sort of protection were were they for you when the Babylonians uh, uh, came and conquered Jerusalem? They were no protection. I'm your protection. So rebuild the temple so that you can have a place to go worship me. Okay? And, you know, gang, there, that principle still holds for us today. So our security is not our bank accounts or the house that we live in uh, or the job that we have. Our security is our relationship with the one true God. And so the, the principles of the book of First and Second Kings applied just as directly in our own lives. That, hey, kings of Israel, kings of Judah, your security is not in your armies and your chariots and your horses and things like that, or your gold and silver. Your security is in how you're doing in walking with the Lord. And the same thing's true of us today. 
Are you with me on that? And that is pretty amazing. That is the same sort of promise that was made to uh, Jeroboam. Remember that promise? What did the Lord say? I'll be with you. And the Lord's done even better than that for us. He's given us, who have put our trust in Christ, his spirit to live within us. And so that our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that we can have one living within us who helps guide us and helps us walk in the ways of the Lord. All this works together to say that, hey, what the kings have to say uh, makes a big difference for us even today. All right, and I'm going to run out of time and not get to any of the kings if I don't watch out. Um, I've got to do one thing for uh, Ahab, though, before I leave. And what uh, um, he did, uh, let's turn to uh, uh, 1 Kings um, 21. All right, gang, we're having a little technical difficulty here. Just hang with me for a second. You know, um, I've used this iPad uh, a bunch to speak from. This is the first time that it's gone dark on me, okay? Um, So let's see if we can recover here. Yes. No. Thanks, though. All right, I'm giving up on mine. Uh, somebody read for us First uh, uh, Kings twenty-one twenty-five through twenty-nine. Read it loudly. Emergent group leader. Yeah, First Kings twenty-one twenty-five through twenty-nine. How about that from even Ahab? He humbles himself before the Lord, and the Lord cuts him a break and says, it's not a lot of break uh, because uh, bad things are still getting ready to happen for um, the house of Ahab. Uh, But um, it's never a bad idea to humble yourself before the Lord. Okay? And so the last thing uh, that we see about Elijah is that he's translated to heaven, uh, in a whirlwind, um, pretty dramatic, I'm sure, if you got to see something like that. And then we see Elisha come on the scene. And I, you can see listed there nine stories I've identified for um, Elisha. And I want to just pick one of them to take a look at. And uh, that's in Second Kings 5, verses 1 through 14. It's the story of Naaman in the curing of his uh, leprosy. Okay, and, and one of the things that this story illustrates is that Elijah and Elisha actually got a lot more respect from foreign countries than they actually did from uh, their own country uh, of Israel. 
Okay, what does that sound like? Well, that sounds like Jesus saying uh, a prophet is without honor in his own home uh, town, his own home country. Okay, but here is Naaman, who's a commander of the army of the king of Syria. And when he has a problem, uh, one, he's willing to listen to uh, advice from um, a young lady who uh, he had captured from Israel. And uh, he gets the king to write him a letter, and he goes down to deal with a, uh, a skin disease. It was not necessarily leper, uh, le- leprosy as we think of leprosy today, but uh, um, the term leper in um, the Old Testament covered a number of different skin diseases. We're not exactly sure which one this was. Uh, but the bottom line is that he goes, and despite not really wanting to do it, uh, he listens to uh, um, the prophet, and uh, uh, he goes down and washes himself seven times in the Jordan, just according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You know, this was the, um, probably the world's greatest facelift uh, you could ever have, because uh, he got uh, totally restored. Um, and look what happens with this story. Now let's turn over to Luke, 20, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 27. Well, interestingly, it is something that uh, um, Jesus uses in his own hometown right after he tells them uh, um, in verse 24, Luke four twenty-four says, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But, I, uh, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, which is what we're talking about. When the heavens were shut uh, three years and six months, that was his first uh, big miracle. And a famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of the widows in Israel, but was sent to um, Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Okay, To someone who uh, was not a Jew, but to a Gentile is the point. And then he goes on and says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet uh, Elisha, but none of them were clean, cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So here is a ref- the Lord making reference to this very story that we've just looked at in Second uh, uh, Kings. Okay, and then look what happens. We can't uh, um, move on without uh, taking note of this. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So what did they act like? Well, they acted like a bunch of little Ahabs, okay? They acted like a bunch of people from the northern kingdom. They acted like a bunch of idiots that they didn't realize that standing in front of them was indeed one who is the Messiah, okay? And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill. I've stood on uh, what's today identified as the Mount of Precipice, Uh, where supposedly this happened, on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But it wasn't his time. And passing through their midst, uh, Jesus went away. And so I just thought that that was a fascinating look and illustration, New Testament use of the story of Naaman. Okay? And so, gang, don't pass over these stories of Elisha. 
you'll see that a number of them mimic or mirror the same sort of things that uh, Elijah did. And I'm sure the author did that to say, look, Elisha was a true prophet of God just like Elijah was. Okay? So don't uh, skip over um, these two prophets because they are speaking the word of the Lord uh, to these kings. And so let's take a look at the kings. We'll start with our uh, pal Ahab. And I've uh, tried to color code these for you to make them easier for you to, rep- uh, to understand and, and get. And so we have um, the northern kingdom is uh, the blue states, okay? And the southern kingdom, whoops, are the red states. And so you'll know that uh, if it's blue at the top banner, it's uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And if it's red, it's the southern kingdom of uh, Judah. And so obviously Ahab was a, a king of Israel. Um, he was uh, uh, one who had the opportunity to be like Solomon. And like Solomon, he totally blew it. Okay? Um, he was the son of Omri, who started uh, an evil dynasty. We talked about Omri at the end last week. You can read about him in 1 Kings 16. He reigned for 22 years. And he got the uh, tag of evil more than all before him. And truly was more evil than uh, all the others. You see, he had a couple of different prophets uh, working on him. And for summary, uh, I just put Baal worship. He instituted Baal worship uh, in Israel. Um, He had uh, uh, the original Jezebel, and he was the worst king of Israel. And for the so what, um, it's a great battle um, during Ahab's life of who is the one true God. And we see it demonstrated time after time uh, to him that uh, the Lord is the one true God, but he refused to acknowledge that. And we've talked about the principle of the faithful remnant, even in the midst of uh, all the Baal worship happening. And I want to read a little passage from uh, um, page 120 of uh, Hubbard's King's book. And here's what it says uh, in summary about Ahab. He says, by historical standards, he was the Solomon of the northern kingdom, one of the most powerful monarchs of his day. But by God's standard, however... He was Israel's worst king. He introduced uh, Israel to Baal worship on a large scale and worse yet, rejected divine correction through the prophets. Okay? Uh, It says that his fall vindicated Yahweh's true prophets over against the others. And it showed that Yahweh preserved Israel as a nation despite Ahab's apostate leadership. And so... You know, as the so what, remember, um, when you've got someone like Jezebel at your side, um, things uh, just aren't going to go really well. Because even when he humbles himself, and the Lord takes note of that, and shows his mercy to even one as evil as Ahab, 
he still doesn't respond by saying, all right, I'm cleaning up my act and I'm going to start to follow the one whom I have seen demonstrated as the one true God. Okay? So Ahab um, starts us off. You know, every story has a bad guy. And Ahab is the bad guy for this story. Now, there are some kings that arguably are as bad as Ahab, but he is just about one of the worst, okay? And definitely what commentators call the worst of the kings of Israel, all right? In contrast, we have uh, Jehoshaphat that was one of the eight good kings of the southern kingdom. You can read about him in 1 Kings 22, um, verses five, uh, 2 through 50. And also in 2 Kings 3, 7 through 27. He reigns for a uh, fairly long period of time, 25 years. And um, in 1 Kings uh, twenty-two forty-three, it says that he did right in the sight of the Lord. That's a pretty good uh, uh, summary. He, too, had a couple of prophets uh, in his day. He followed a good king, his father uh, Asa. And uh, um, one of the things that was a challenge was that he made peace with uh, Ahab. And um, we see that in his life that uh, um, he was influenced by his father. And dads, you have influence on your children. And Asa had uh, good influence on Jehoshaphat. Unfortunately, it didn't work the other way, and we'll see that uh, his son didn't turn out so well. It's interesting to note in Second Chronicles, if you go read about Jehoshaphat, um, the author of Second Chronicles devotes four chapters to the reign of Jehoshaphat. That's a lot. Uh, and I want to take just a second uh, to read in Second Chronicles 20, verses 3 through 12. Let's look at that for a second. Okay, just to set the scene, um, the southern kingdom is under attack uh, by the Moabites and the Ammonites, and uh, there's some uh, Meunites, whoever those guys are, um, and they've come against uh, um, the southern kingdom to do battle. And he's been told, Jehoshaphat's been told, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, um, and they're close by is what... Uh, that says, um, and then so what does Jehoshaphat do? Look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to uh, seek help from the Lord. All the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court and he prayed. O oh Lord, uh, uh, God of our fathers, you are, not, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that, there's none, uh, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. Um, etc., etc., etc. He keeps praying. 
Verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on the bad guys? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so, gang, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel powerless, go look up this prayer of Jehoshaphat because there are a lot of principles built into this prayer that orient us to keeping our eyes on the one who can deal with the problems that we have. Jehoshaphat was a good king. And we can't leave without seeing what happens. Okay, so look down. Um, starting in uh, verse 16, it says, Tomorrow go down against them, they'll come up, da-da-da. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then look at verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing. They sing. And when they began to sing, the Lord set an ambush against the men of the invading forces. And so those guys in verse 23 run around and destroy each other. And when Judah comes to the watchtower of the wilderness, they look toward the horde, and behold, there are nothing but dead bodies lying there. And when Jehoshaphat, this is verse 25, and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers all sorts of stuff, and it took them three days to carry the spoils of war back. And they didn't have to lift a finger to fight this battle. Now, the Lord may not do that for you, Um, But then again, he might. But if you don't give him the chance to do that in your own life, you're missing out in seeing his deliverance in situations where you go, it is hopeless. That's what our God specializes in. All right, keep moving. Back to the blue country. Ahaziah, okay? So this is a son of Ahab. So think evil, up, oh, yes, followed Jeroboam, Ahab, and Jezebel pattern. That's not a good pattern to follow, okay? Uh, you can read about him in 1 Kings 22 and uh, all the way through 2 Kings 1. He only reigns for two years, that's not a good sign. Elijah is the prophet. Um, summary, I've got he served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord and had no son, And so for the so what, I go, where is your focus? Um, In the words of uh, um, uh, Dean Faber, uh, short, evil, and childless is no way to make a mark as a king, okay? Um, The only redeeming thing in the whole story of Ahaziah is one of his captains. Um, He sends three different captains with 50 guys uh, accompanying each captain to go to the prophet, okay? Okay? 
And uh, the first two come up and try to command the prophet to go with them. And uh, um, they are struck by fire called down from heaven. This is kind of Elijah's last hurrah. The third captain goes up with 50 more guys, and he does it very humbly. And he says, you know, Mr. Prophet, sir, I know what you've done to the other two guys, and please take pity on me and my men because we're simply here trying to do what our commander has asked us to do. And uh, Elijah takes, I'm sorry, Elijah takes pity on them and goes with them. And uh, um, that's probably the only redeeming thing about the whole story of Ahaziah. Uh, one of his captains indeed shows humility. And, you know, in summary uh, for uh, Ahaziah, uh, he is the ending point of First Kings. So First Kings ends bad, and he's the starting point of Second Kings, and Second Kings starts worse. And so we've really gone from the bad to the ugly here. Um, you know, again, a descendant of Ahab, but watch out, um, their um, time is coming. So the next one uh, we have is uh, Jehoram. Remember, uh, Ahaziah um, dies childless, and so another one of the offspring of uh, uh, Ahab um, comes to the throne again. King of Israel, you can read about him in 2 Kings 3 through 9. Um, He reigns for 12 years. He's part of the same sort of pattern, um, but listen to what it says. Um, He definitely follows Jeroboam, but he's not as bad is Ahab and Jezebel, okay? Uh, He actually removed uh, the pillar of Baal. uh, He saw the um, prophetic ministry of Elijah begin, but in the um, coup that uh, uh, Jehu establishes uh, against the house of Ahab, he falls victim to that. Okay, but his really only noteworthy accomplishment comes from hanging out with Jehoshaphat of the southern kingdom. And if you look at Second uh, uh, Kings 3.13, let's do that right quick. Here's what Elisha says to him. He says to the king of Israel, that's Jehoram, What do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hands of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. So, only redeeming thing about Jehoram is that uh, um, he picked a good guy to hang out with. But remember that not as bad as Ahab and Jezebel is not much of a legacy. Not much of a legacy. And so what happens to these guys? Well, before they get their final comeuppance, we have uh, uh, a king of the southern kingdom, Jehoram, also named Jehoram. He's the son of Jehoshaphat. And you look down in the type of king that he is, you see that he did evil and followed Ahab's pattern. Not a good thing for the son of Jehoshaphat to be doing. Um, Thank you.
And so, um, look at the things that he did. He marries Ahab's daughter. Uh, probably not a good role model there. Um, he kills his brothers. That's not so good. But then look what happens. No one mourns his death, and he's not buried in the tomb of the kings. And so my so what for that is, hey, live in such a way that somebody misses you, okay? He departed with no one's regret, and even though he was buried in the city of David, he was not buried in the tomb of the kings. Make somebody miss you. All right, now let's deal with the... uh, um, Well, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We've got one more king of the southern kingdom before we get to deal with the um, descendants of Ahab. Okay, and this is Ahaziah. This won't take long. He reigned for a year. He only gets five verses in Second Kings. But you can also go read Second uh, um, Chronicles 22. He gets a few more verses in there. And here's what it says. He says, he also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, even though he's a king of Judah. For his mother was his counselor. His mother was a, a daughter of Ahab, um, the wicked Athaliah. Um, and it says, For his mother was his counselor and do it wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, um, they were his counselors to his undoing. So he, he picked the wrong counselors. And he actually picked the wrong uh, friends because he goes and hangs out with Jehoram of the uh, northern kingdom of Israel and he gets caught in the middle of the Jehu purge that we're getting ready to talk about when Jehu purges the house of Ahab. And so when God says, I'm going to remove the house of Ahab, it reaches even down into the southern kingdom. And he wipes out those who are affiliated with the house of Ahab. And that is brought about by our friend Jehu. You can read about him in 2 Kings 9 through 10. Um, He um, was the next king of Israel. He reigns for 28 years, a comparatively long reign in the northern kingdom. And um, I'm probably fudging a little bit to call him reformed, but he does get a couple of attaboys from the Lord about what he does, okay? He's the great destroyer. And he destroys all the descendants of Ahab. Uh, and by doing that, he fulfills Elijah's prophetic doom pronounced over the house of Ahab. Um, that comes completely true. And then he also destroys all the prophets and followers of Baal in the northern kingdom. And uh, uh, the conclusion is, thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But then it goes on and says, But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, remember that pattern, the son of Nebat, which he made, uh, uh, which he made Israel to sin, that is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you've done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that is in my heart, Your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And so the Lord says, and that's why I have the uh, summary here of reform has its rewards. Um, He, his uh, dynasty 
if you will, for the northern kingdom lasts through four generations. Okay? Because he did what the Lord told him to do with respect to wiping out the evil of both Ahab and the house of Ahab and all the prophets of Baal in Israel. But even though he did that, he still persisted in the way of Jeroboam. And he still refused to um, uh, walk carefully in the law of the Lord with all his heart. He didn't turn from those sins, and he continued to make Israel sin those same sins of following Jeroboam. So maybe he is a little bit reformed, but the bottom line is that he's still uh, evil. That's Jehu. Now we go back to uh, the southern kingdom, and Queen Athaliah is the only queen that we're going to see uh, over Israel or Judah. She takes over after um, her um, son Ahaziah, uh, dies. Okay? You can read about her. There are only a few verses about uh, Athaliah. You can read about her in Second Kings 11. But she reigns for six years. And she does evil, of course, following Ahab's pattern. Um, she's a, uh, uh, one of the descendants of Ahab. Uh, and her first act as queen, um, her first act in power is to destroy uh, the rest of the royal family. Okay, but uh, um, let's go look at Second uh, uh, Kings 11. And in verses 2 and 3, you can see um, what happens to preserve the line of uh, David. And Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, the sister of uh, Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. Um, it doesn't say it, but it was being put to death by Athaliah. Um, and um, Jehoshaphat puts him and his nurse in a bedroom of the temple, and thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. So the line of David is down to one descendant, uh, but they act to preserve that line. And um, look at what it says about uh, um, what happens when Athaliah is killed. You can scroll on down um, when uh, the priest Jehoiada uh, raises uh, Joash to the throne at, uh, when he's seven years old. Um, he orders that uh, Athaliah be put to death. And uh, um, if you look down, uh, you can see all the good things that Jehoiada did when Joash was king. We'll talk about those in a second. Um, but uh, one of the best things that he did was that he has... Athaliah and the evil that she represented uh, removed permanently. Okay? And look what happens uh, uh, at the end. Um, verse 20. This is uh, verse 20 of Second uh, Kings 11. So all the people of the land rejoiced. All the people of the land rejoiced when Queen Athaliah was uh, put to death. 
and the city was quiet. And, you know, gang, um, just as Jehu wipes out the house of Ahab in the northern kingdom, Jehoiada in the southern kingdom wipes out the last link to the king of Ahab uh, in Judah. And so what the prophets prophesied about Ahab came true to the last degree. We stay with uh, um, the southern kingdom uh, for uh, our next king, Joash, or Jehoash. You can read about him in 2 Kings 11. Um, He reigns for 40 years, and it is a great reign. It is one that uh, um, he's described as doing right in the Lord's eyes all his days. Uh, One of the best things that he did was that he repaired the temple. It's now um, over 100 years later after Solomon built the temple. And, uh, um, you know, I'm sure it was in need of all sorts of repairs. Uh, And as long as he listened to Jehoiada, and as long as Jehoiada was alive, who was serving as the priest and was advising the king, um, then he did well. But then he squanders all the things that he's done for the temple by repairing it when he takes all the temple gold and sacred gifts from four generations of kings and sends them to buy off the king of uh, Syria from attacking Jerusalem. And so you've got to wonder, why didn't he do what Jehoshaphat did and humble himself before the Lord and pray, you know, Father, protect us. But he doesn't do that. He uh, makes a treaty and uh, buys peace. And so what started strong uh, definitely failed to uh, finish strong. And he ultimately suffered the indignity of being assassinated by his servants. And so even some of the good kings um, didn't uh, finish so well. And our final king for tonight is... um, Jehoahaz. He is a king of Israel. You can read about him in 2 Kings 13. He reigned for 17 years, and of course he followed Jeroboam's pattern. There are no uh, prophets particularly mentioned with respect to Jehoahaz. Um, One of the good things that he did was that uh, uh, when he was oppressed by Syria... Uh, He sought the Lord's favor, and the Lord listened to him and raised up a deliverer. We can read about that in 2 Kings 13, verses 3 through 5. It says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hasiel, king of um, Syria, and into the hand of Benadad, the son of Hasiel. Then Jehoahaz sought the favor of the Lord... And the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel. That is the kind of God that we worship. He is a God of uh, mercy. And so he listens when people call out to him in humility. He, uh, for he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Syria oppressed them. Therefore the Lord gave Israel a savior so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians and the people lived in their home, people of Israel lived in their homes as formerly. 
So gang, even in these kings, we see a lot of lessons that we can apply today. And so when we have, um, not invading armies, I hope, but when we have things that um, uh, go wrong in our lives that seem like we're being attacked on every side, um, will we humble ourselves to bow down before the Lord and say, Lord, we cannot do this without you. We turn our eyes to you like Jehoshaphat said. Will we be even king like uh, King Jehoahaz did uh, to seek the Lord's favor? Because we know time after time from the scriptures that he listens when we raise our hand and go, Lord, we need your help. And when we do it with a humble heart that says that... uh, um, We want to follow what he does. But gang, the problem with each one of these kings and the problem with even the good ones is that um, they don't do it every time. David didn't do it every time, and he was a man after God's own heart. And so there's hope for us that we don't have to be perfect in this, but we don't want to use that as an excuse to... uh, allow us to, um, you know, make excuses for um, our um, unwillingness to do what the Lord calls us to do in every area of our lives. He wants complete obedience from each of us every time. And that needs to be our goal. And so the kings, if you think about, and we're getting ready to see, um, not next week, we'll see a couple of good kings next week. Uh, but then particularly the last week, as we look at uh, uh, Hezekiah and Josiah, we'll see guys, particularly Josiah, who made it a habit of life to do what the Lord called him to do. And so, you know, if you, as you're reading through these kings, think about the sort of things of, hey, what did he do right? What did he do wrong? What can I do in my own life that will uh, mirror what he did right? Because we don't need any help doing the wrong stuff. I don't know, at least I don't, okay? But we do need help in being willing to be responsive, to humble ourselves, to do the sort of things when we're under attack like Jehoshaphat did so that our instinct is to hit our knees instead of try to hit back. Okay, we still got a couple of minutes, uh, but we're right at the 8 o'clock hour, so we'll have um, some uh, desserts downstairs. Um, And um, any questions that you want to ask about any of the kings so far? Yes, ma'am. Um, well, the short answer is that that's one you're going to have to ask the Lord. Um, but if you look at it, um, what did Jehu do? Okay, he was given a tough assignment. He was told by the Lord, you are to wipe out every last descendant of the house, house of Ahab. And then I want you to wipe out all the prophets of Baal. That is not a fun assignment. 
okay? And he did it, and he did it well. And the Lord recognized that, and he didn't say that life was going to be great in the northern kingdom, but he says, because you've done that and set a pattern for your dynasty, those who will follow you, I'm going to let your um, kin rule on the throne of Israel for four generations. Um, And I think the bottom line is that... um, each successive generation is uh, responsible for, each successive king is responsible for his own kingdom and his own rulership. And so the uh, um, one who follows Jehoshaphat, um, Jehoram, um, you know, uh, he didn't follow in the ways of uh, Josiah, I'm sorry, in the ways of Jehoshaphat, in the way that Jehoshaphat followed in the ways of his father Asa. And the Lord uh, held uh, Jehoshaphat's son responsible. And so, you know, um, the Lord has mercy on whom he will have mercy. That's the best I can give you. Um, You know, we may have done it differently. But um, the Lord, um, uh, I know, had his reasons for doing that. And uh, it's one of those things you can kind of scratch your head about and go um, uh, have a chance to ask one day maybe. That's a great question, something that's worth thinking about. Okay, so what about the kings, um, you know, would you see being done differently? And how could they do it differently? How could they respond differently? Um, And why would the Lord bless some for things that uh, he may take others to task for? Other questions? Let me pray for us. Um, Thanks for hanging in here. Uh, Next week, we're going to be uh, looking at, uh, uh, we'll go from uh, another Jehoash of the northern kingdom to uh, Hoshua in the fall of Israel. So we'll get through 11 kings next week. And if you're reading along, it goes from 2 Kings 13 through the end of 15. We're going to skip chapter 16. We'll do that 16 the last week. And then we'll also pick up 17 next week. So 13 through 15 and 17 for next week. Okay, so not uh, nearly as many uh, chapters to cover, uh, but we'll have some fun in seeing what happens to the northern kingdom because it ain't in a pretty picture. Okay, there are a lot of lessons to learn from a negative sort of standpoint. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for the uh, opportunity to uh, learn from others' mistakes. And so, Lord, may we humble our hearts before you and uh, acknowledge that you are indeed the one true God and that you always keep your um, promises, that your word is always true, and that you promise that uh, if we will uh, do the things that you uh, have called us to do, that it will go well with us. And even when we are in the midst of difficult circumstances, that that um, fact that it goes well with us may not look like those circumstances being removed, but that, Father, you will indeed be with us in the midst of those difficult circumstances. And, Lord, wherever you are, um, it is always good, even when it's hard. And so uh, uh, my prayer for... um, this assembled group is that you would be with us and that our hearts would uh, uh, call out to you in the same way that Jehoshaphat did, uh, that we might turn our eyes to you to help us make right decisions that honor and please you. So thanks for these friends giving up uh, uh, a 
good Thursday night uh, to learn more about your kings. And may their lessons stick with us in a way that helps us walk uh, honoring you in all that we think, say, and do. Amen.